welcome back to the wise man's page the podcast where we read patrick rothfuss's the wise man's fear page by page this is page 455 skin and artfully curled chestnut hair her mouth was full and red without the benefit of any paint the line of her neck was proud and graceful i nodded i can see a piece of your future in it milady one of her eyebrows went up a bit do tell you will be receiving an apology shortly Forgive my eyes, they flit like the Calanthus, place to place. I could not keep them from your fair flower face. Mellowin smiled, but did not blush. Not immune to flattery, but no stranger to it either. I tucked that bit of information away. That was a fairly easy fortune to tell, she said. See you anything else? I took another moment to search her face. Two other things, milady. It tells me you are mellow and lackless, and that I am at your service. She smiled and gave me her hand to kiss. I took hold of it and bowed my head over it. I didn't actually kiss it, as would have been proper back in the Commonwealth. Instead, I pressed my lips briefly onto my own thumb that held her hand. Actually, kissing her hand would have been terribly forward in this part of the world. Our banter was stalled by the arrival of the soups, forty servants placing them before forty guests all at once. I tasted mine. Why in God's name would anyone make a sweet soup? I ate another spoonful and pretended to enjoy it. From the corner of my eye, I watched my neighbor, a tiny, older man I knew to be the Viceroy of Bannis. His face and hands were wrinkled and spotted, his hair a disarrayed tousle of gray. I watched him put a finger into his soup without a hint of self-consciousness, taste it, then push the bowl aside. He rummaged in his pockets and opened his hand to show me what he'd found. I always bring a pocket full of candy almonds to these things, he said in a conspiratorial whisper, his eyes as cunning as a child's. You never know what they'll try to feed you. He held his hand out. You can have one if you like. I took one, thanked him, and faded from his awareness for the rest of the evening. When I glanced back several minutes later, he was eating unabashedly from his pocket and bickering with his wife about whether or not the peasantry could make bread from acorns. From the sound of it, I guessed it was a small piece of a larger argument that they would have been having their entire lives. To Mellowin's right, there was a Yillish couple, chatting away in their own lilting language. Combined with strategically placed decorations that made it difficult to see the guests on the other side of the table, Mellowin and I were more alone than if we'd been walking together in the gardens. The mayor had arranged his seating well. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. There's clearly an art to this. This is clearly something that is uh, probably a whole industry in uh, vintage nobility is understanding who to sit next to whom in order to prod the conversation in certain directions. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an art of any like good host. If you're, you know, like hosting a dinner party, you arrange the seating so that good conversations will happen but this seems next level right like they're (laughs) they're practically in a box (laughs) well i mean that is that is by the mayor's design right he said there's it's said earlier in the chapter that the mayor is gonna like he's hosting this dinner for the express purpose of both getting to know mellow and lackless so he has obviously arranged the seating so that they would have no one to talk to but each other I mean, this is obvious enough that I feel like, wouldn't she notice? Like, she's been to enough of these dinners, right? Wouldn't she notice that, like, the setup was a little different? Maybe. Maybe she knows something's up. I am of the opinion that she's an operator and that she is wise to what's going on. But 
That's not really backed up by any evidence. It's just my hunch. When has that ever stopped you before? Precisely. We get like little pieces of what Mellowin looks like. Like we got two on the last page, which were that she has a strong jaw and dark brown eyes. And then we get some on this page, which is that she has artfully curly chestnut brown hair. Yeah, this leads into something that I will talk about in a page or two. And that is we are never really told how old she is. Certainly she he, she isn't described by Quoth as like matronly or handsome, which is how you might describe you know a woman who is like noticeably older but and so like my first read i sort of had her pegged as uh maybe not quite of an age with quoth but not too much older uh that's the sort of thing that i i would have thought he might call out what this is leading me to wonder is how much younger is she than natalia i do read her as being younger than quoth's mother was and it's possible, based on some of her opinions, and I'm, we'll we'll talk about this. But I, I'm I'm just wondering, you know, maybe she was born after Natalia absconded. Maybe she is that that young. Wow. See, I definitely am thinking of her about twenty years older than you seem to be thinking of her as. Hmm. Like I think of her as like a woman in her mid forties. Oh, could be. I like I I thought I was sure, but now I'm totally unsure of what I think of her as. The mayor says she's been like shamelessly pursued by much younger men for a long time. Oh, could be. That's a good piece of evidence. That's true. Maybe that's that's a feather in Rothfuss's cap. Then, if he can effectively describe her as being older without using any of those awful phrases that I uh, cited earlier in the episode. You don't describe a hot milf as matronly. Like matronly <laughs> means like you know she's. She's put on a few pounds. She's like a bit of a look, trout. Look, okay, no, let's let's not litigate it. What I'm getting at is that usually there are euphemisms that a writer would use to suggest uh, explicitly that a woman is of a certain age, and I don't believe Rothfuss has used any of those. Uh, but it sounds to me, and I, you know, I missed a few pages, but it sounds to me like he has effectively communicated that she is in her 40s or whatever without using any of those things. And if so, well done, Rothfuss. That's how we like them. Yeah, like, for me, it's not anything that Rothfuss describes her, like, physically as. It's more like her affect, the way she sounds, the way she behaves. She just feels to me like a society dame who's been around. But she's also described, uh, and we've noted this descriptor before as having applied to Denna, Quoth does have a type, and there's a reason he's noticing her, and it's because she has pale skin, chestnut brown hair, and red lips. He is also very smooth. When he says, he uses the in of having had to make up that he is into this kind of taragier mancy. Well, no, 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 no. He doesn't actually, like, he's trying to make up for being called out for staring at her. Yeah, which yeah, is not yeah, a good yes, way. Yes, Right? So he, he's yes, not actually yes. suggesting that he's a tourageur. He's he's yes-anding her in order to apologize for staring at her and does it in a very smooth way. Yeah, now can I get to what I was saying? You sassy over here. He's so he gives her the line about being a he gives her a line about dabbling in in being a a tourageur so that he can then say that he's divining a piece of her future so that he can then give her his little rhyming couplet about his prediction about her future is that you're going to be receiving an apology shortly and then he says sorry my eyes I can't help but stare at you because you're so hot and then she goes okay that wasn't like she's charmed enough by that to keep talking to him and then. He follows up with another smooth line 
which is, you know, there's two other things that I saw in your face when I was doing my face omancy, which is that you're mellow and lackless and I'm at your service. And I'm sorry, I think that that is very smooth. I would swoon. It is. And it's so funny that he's so bad at actually flirting. But when he's doing this, when he's doing like recon in the form of flirting, he is, you know, a complete natural. Well, it's the same reason that anybody gets their friend to ask out the girl they have a crush on. There's no stakes for the friend. The friend can be as smart, charming as they want because, you know, it doesn't actually, there's no stakes for them. They don't have anything to lose. You know, there's no, there's no stakes you know, Quoth can't flirt with Denna because there's, for him, there's so much riding on it. It's true. I got much better at job interviews once I started convincing myself that I didn't want the job. Mm-hmm. Or no, a better way to put that is you do really well the job interviews when you don't want the job. Mm-hmm. I, I suppose that's possible. And that's what's going on with Quoth right now. The thing that Quoth does with the fake hand kiss is a thing that I did in elementary school because obviously you wouldn't want to be kissed by a boy. So pretending to kiss someone's hand and then actually kissing your own hand was a delightful prank to play on someone because for a moment they were aghast thinking that the lips of a boy might touch their skin but it turns out that the boy is kissing not but his own hand and it's terribly funny my friend pulled a similar trick to that in uh in high school where there's like there's a game that you have to like you have to pass a piece of paper between everybody but you have to use your like uh your lips to do it so you like suck in the piece of paper and then you blow it out and then they have to catch it by sucking in the piece of paper super super gross thinking about it covid times but uh one of our friends had like sat beside another friend and they schemed together to make it look like they accidentally made out and so the whole group was like scandalized and they realized that like they had just like put their head behind the other person it was very funny Man, y'all kids in Ottawa are f***ed up. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it funny how many games children will invent just to get close to one another and touch each other with their mouths? Great. I'm glad that we had this little chat. This letter is from Gary, who writes on Chronicler's Life's Journey. Since you explicitly asked, Pagers, my take on Chronicler's timeline is, one, Chronicler writes on mating habits of the common Dracus. Two, Quoth attends the university. Three, Chronicler attends the university as a student. At first, I thought maybe Chronicler couldn't directly be admitted to the university because he was poor and had to use this text as proof that he belongs in the university. Then I remembered his family name. So now I'm not so sure. Maybe his writing of the book serves as his gap years between primary and secondary education. Either way, I think this timeline is the simplest without relying on author error or timeline shenanigans. Signed, Gary. I agree. This probably makes the most sense. Also, I sort of had it in my head that like the mating habits of the common Dracus was a life's work that Chronicler was like older than middle age because he had spent his entire youth traveling the world researching the Dracus. But now that I think about it, he probably just like spent a year on it, you know, just like gathered some stories, did a bit of field research and then collated his notes into a, a slim volume. You know, it doesn't have to be his life's work could just be like a bit of work that he did that Quoth likes. I kind of feel like it, it it's like a, a journal from like a year abroad. So like he did a year abroad studying dragons and then he wrote a book about it. Yeah. He's also not the chronicler yet. The mating habits of the the common Dracus is perhaps like what got him the gig of the chronicler. Also, what is the body that gets to nominate you the chronicler? Maybe it's just one of those things where people start calling you it. Yeah. Like the Batman. Like it comes about naturally. Yeah, like the Batman. <laughs> I mean, Chronicler knew that uh, 
criminals were a superstitious, cowardly lot, and uh, he took the form of that which feared him the most when a librarian burst through his window. Yes, father, I shall become a chronicler. (laughs) And uh, listeners, we shall become a podcaster when we return on tomorrow's page. Uh, The Wind. Wind.